We're going through the Gospel of John. We're up to John chapter 16, as always. Feel free to open your Bibles, to follow along with your notes, to draw pictures, whatever sounds good. Uh, we actually had someone who used to take notes by drawing pictures. It was pretty cool. Uh, anyway, whatever works for you. Um, but we're going to jump right in. And But at, before we do that, I want to just review some of the things that are important to understand uh, so that we get this. And these are things mostly that we covered in 15 and 16. But remember, uh, we said that John 14 through 17 are special, uh, probably, I think, the most important passages in the whole Bible, because this is Jesus talking to his disciples on the night before he is betrayed and arrested and, of course, goes to the cross. So this is important stuff. And the overall theme that we see in these four chapters is that it's about entering into the love environment in the Trinity, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have dwelt together in incredible unity and uh, literally love beyond our comprehension. And they've done this for eternity, and we are being invited in to that family, that relationship, that dwelling place. And in fact, in John 14, we saw that Jesus has made a dwelling place in the Father for us, in the Spirit, and through the Holy Spirit coming and dwelling in us, He has made a dwelling place for Him and the Father in us, John 14.2, John 14.23. And so uh, we've been told that there's this dwelling place where we can literally dwell with God in Him and in us by the Spirit. And then John 15, we were told in no uncertain terms to abide there, to stay in that place in Him and Him in us. And that that was the only way we could bear fruit, that without Him, in fact, we could do nothing. Zip, zero, nada. Yeah? And so we learned all that. And uh, Jesus keeps referring back to the command, the new command that He gave in John 13 and reiterated it in John 15. And it's to love like Jesus, and not just to love like Jesus. Remember the old command was love like you, love others as you love yourself. The new command is love others like Jesus loves you, which is harder. And it said love like Jesus, and not only love like Jesus, but love like Jesus in the context or in the midst of a worldly environment of hatred and persecution. So uh, love with kind of one hand tied behind your back while people are hating you and persecuting you. So that's what we learned. But because the Holy Spirit has come to abide in us, we are now empowered to do that. No one was empowered to love like Jesus before. The best we could hope for was love as best as I can, love you like I love me. But now with the Holy Spirit, I can be taken to a whole other level. I can be empowered to love like Jesus loves. And so uh, that happens by abiding in Him. Amen? All right, so that's a brief summary of 14 and 15. Let's get on to 16. I want to start with the first four verses, and there's some fun stuff in here. It says, These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. Who's for not stumbling? All right, this sounds good. They will put you out of the synagogue. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And again, we've seen this in the earth, haven't we? People killing people and thinking they're doing it for God. And these things they will do because they have not known the Father nor me. 
But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. So in other words, he's saying, I'm telling you now so that when it happens, you'll remember and you'll, you'll go, okay, Jesus talked about this and told us how to handle this, right? Also, he's telling us these things, um, or he, he's telling them these things and did not tell them before because he was with them. In other words, uh, you didn't worry about being persecuted when I was with you because I was the big target and they really weren't worried about you, they were worried about me, and I just kept walking through crowds that tried to, wanted to kill me and they didn't know where I went. So it was all good. So he had them covered, but now it's going to be different because they're going to be sent out like he was sent out, and they're going to begin to receive some of the persecution that he did, right? So uh, what I want to do, though, is really focus on verse 1. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. Amen? Now, here's the thing we want to get. Certainly... Stumbling has to do with just in general righteousness. There's lots of ways we can stumble, right? And we all know them. We've all done them. How many of you have preferred ways to stumble? Yeah? So lots of ways we can stumble and we're good at it. But I think what's going on here, I think Jesus is actually being a little more specific in this sense. It doesn't matter. They both apply. But here's what I want you to see. First of all, the context of this is important. Remember, we finished up in John 15, verses 18 through 21, he'd shift to, shifted to love in the context of hatred and persecution. And so we see that he's not really left that. He's still talking about, they will put you out of the synagogue, they will kill you and think they do God a service, uh, they'll hate you because they don't know me. So we're still in that context of persecution. So what I think he's talking about here is not just not stumbling in general, but not stumbling over persecution. The church, if we are not careful, uh, is being set up by the enemy to stumble over persecution, especially if the church has been told that God's not going to let anything bad happen to you, which is sadly not biblical. Uh, but some churches are told that. And that's the gospel they get. Everything's going to be fine. Name it. God will do it. He won't, uh, I'm, well, there's some other verses we should read. But I want you to see it's not just that it's bad doctrine. It's setting the church up to stumble and be offended when persecution comes. And so it's very, very, very dangerous. So the stumbling is over persecution. And I think it's actually even more specific than that. So stay with me. Again, you don't have to agree with me. This is just what I think, uh, but I got reasons that I think it, and I'll give them to you. I don't think it's just stumbling over persecution. I think it's a specific attack against the one commandment. What's the one commandment? Yeah, love. Well, we, uh, in this context, Jesus said the new commandment is to love as I've loved you. So that's it. We love God, love others. Those are the two commandments. But the one commandment we've been talking about is the commandment to love. That's really the only thing we have to obey, is to love, to love people, love Jesus, love people. And he says that that will fulfill all the law and the commandments, right? And so I think this is a specific attack against the one commandment, not just 
that we don't stumble over persecution, that we don't stumble in love over persecution. Let me show you why I think that. Because he talks about this in Matthew 24 as well. You guys remember in Matthew 24, uh, the disciples are showing Jesus how nifty the temple is. And Jesus goes, yeah, it's all going to be torn down. And they go, well, when's that going to happen? And what are the signs? And he says, okay, I'll tell you. And Matthew 24. So let's read some of those. I'm going to read verses 9 through 12 um, because it picks up right on the same theme that Jesus is talking about now. They will deliver you up to tribulation, tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. So we're in exactly the same context, right? Hatred and persecution. And then many will be offended and will betray one another and hate one another. Now, that's what I just said, right? that uh, we're being set up, if we believe nothing bad is going to happen to us, we're being set up for offense. A lot of this offense is not just going to be the world, it's going to be the church. It's going to be a church that's offended that God, haven't you ever seen, we just watched a movie the other night where one of the lines in the movie was somebody's mad at God because he let somebody die. He's offended because God didn't meet his expectations. So if a church doesn't have realistic expectations of what God's up to, it's really easy for a church to be offended, isn't it? So they're offended, and what comes out of that offense? Hatred for one another, a lack of love. Then many false prophets will rise and deceive many. Anybody noticing any deception lately? Just a little? And because lawlessness will abound, anybody noticing any lawlessness around? Is it increasing or decreasing? Yeah, it's abounding. What's the result of lawlessness abounding? The love of many will grow cold. You see it? Why does that happen? If I throw you suddenly into a lawless environment, and there are some cities right now where I could do that, you would probably very quickly have this tendency to draw into yourself, to go, I'm going to take care of me and mine and no one else. Because it's dangerous. That's what lawlessness does. It causes us to be jaded. It causes us to look for the worst. It's, it's going to actively attack love. It's going to cause love to grow cold. It's right here in the Bible. Jesus says an abounding lawlessness will cause cold love. And again, it's not just the world. This can happen to the church as lawlessness increases. And again, the, the verse I didn't read, uh, verse 7 you all are familiar with this in the same section, uh, nation will rise against nation, literally ethnos against ethnos. Is anyone seeing any racial tension increasing? I'm going to tell you right now, the only remedy for that is the love of Christ. There are no social remedies. And it's not just the races we see here, it's worldwide in many races, many ethnos. And what I want you to see is if love is the one command, the thing we're called to, does it surprise us that this is what the enemy will attack? That all of these things we're seeing are a specific attack on the one thing. In other words, what I think Jesus is saying in verse 1 is not just, uh, I don't want you to stumble in sin. I think he's saying that I don't want you to stumble in love that all of the attacks on the church in the end times are going to be targeted 
at causing us to stumble in love, causing us to have cold love, causing us to lose our love. This is the challenge. Are you with me? So this is the thing uh, that we have to work on. Uh, we're going to have to be intentional about learning to love and about uh, deciding to love in an environment of hatred and persecution because the enemy is coming after our ability to love like Jesus loves. That's what he doesn't want us to stumble in. You can stumble in a lot of ways, but the most important thing is he's saying don't stumble in loving one another. I'm giving you this so that you'll know ahead of time so that you won't stumble when these things happen. You understand? Now, he says actually five times, but three of them have to do with motives. So I'm going to look at these. Three times uh, he begins with the words that he begins with in John 1, uh, 16, 1. These things I have spoken to you. In other words, I'm telling you this because, and then he gives a motive. Here's my motive for telling you this. Here's why I'm telling you this. So let's look at these three together because I think it will be helpful. The first one is one we've just seen, John 16, 1. I'm telling you these things, or these things I have spoken to you, so that you won't be made to stumble. And as I've already said, I believe it has to do with stumbling in love, or uh, you can apply righteousness in general, but they're equivalent because of the second commandment. If we love others, we keep all the commandments, right? So we've already looked at that one. The next one is in John 16, I'm just going to go down and read that. These things I have spoken to you, that in me, where? In him, not in the world. In me, as in, from that secret place, from that dwelling place, and in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We'll talk about that more uh, when we cover the second half of this section. But I just wanted to point out that one of the motives, one of the three motives is love. The second of the three motives is peace. We saw that in John 14, 27. Remember when he said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives peace, not circumstantial peace. I give you peace in here from the dwelling place, from the peace that's in the kingdom that you can access. And then the third one we saw in John 15, joy. Uh, I have said these things to you so that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. So I want you to see that throughout this section, he's given us three motives for why he's telling us these things. Why are you telling us about the dwelling place and about the need to abide there and about how we're going to be persecuted and hated, uh, but we need to stay in this abiding place? He's going, I'm telling you so that you can maintain love and peace and joy. Those are my motives. You got it? Now, it's important that we get this, that we focus on these. In fact, when I was thinking of this, and I was thinking of the original uh, word righteousness instead of love, I got to thinking, where have I heard those three group before? Righteousness, joy, and peace. Anybody know? Yeah, it's in your notes. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Like, wow, it's the whole kingdom right there. So I'm beginning to think these three things may be more important than we've realized. In fact, 
uh, these are the first three fruit of the Spirit, aren't they? Love, joy, and peace. First three. And I want you to note that they are in the Holy Spirit, which is one of those two dwelling places, the Holy Spirit in us. And again, I'm just, I'm just beating this drum. Uh, these are supernatural. Uh, this isn't just, you know, uh, om, be as peaceful as you can, and, you know, uh, try and be happy even though, you know, life is bad and, you know, do your best to love people in your own strength. No, no, no. This is fruit of the Spirit. This is something we acquire supernaturally in that secret place as we abide in that secret place, right? And so this is the call. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. Now, let's look at the context for a minute, eating and drinking. What was going on is back then they had lots of weird gods. You know, you could go to Ephesus and uh, you could buy some hamburger that had been sacrificed to Diana. It was a Diana burger. And uh, <laughs> probably good. Uh, you know, all, all organic. But um, so they're having genuine arguments. Well, do I eat this? And what Paul, I'm not going to redo the whole teaching on 14. What he's basically saying is, look, we know that the idols are nothing and the meat's fine. Uh, so if you want to eat the meat, eat the meat. Buy the meat, eat it, whatever. He goes, but the weaker brother, if he thinks there's something wrong with it because it's been sacrificed to an idol, if he sees you eating it, it's going to cause him to stumble. He's going to think you're worshiping idols. So if he's, for the sake of your brother, if it's going to cause him to stumble, don't eat the meat. Now here's the thing. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, in essence, because it's not just food. He's saying, and I forgot where, where am I at? Oh, right. Um, he's saying that fruit is of a higher value than the lesser issue of whether or not you eat meat sacrificed to an idol, all right? Now, again, it can be meat, it can be other stuff. It can be, you know, there's lots of good things we can talk about in the Bible, you know, end times and the tribulation and uh, Calvinism and all that stuff. But what he's saying is specifically love is more important than doctrinal resolution, right? He's saying, look, It'd be great if your brother wasn't immature. And it's very clear, he says, the guy that's hung up is immature. But he's not saying, you know, put down the hamburger and teach your brother until he's immature. He's going, look, if, if it causes him to stumble, just don't eat the hamburger. Love is more important than you fixing your brother's doctrine. That's what he's saying. It's as if the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, is more important than the gifts of the Spirit. Where have we seen that before? If I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, worthless. If I can prophesy, but have not love. It's almost like he's saying the fruit of the Spirit is of higher value than the gifts of the Spirit. Could that be true? This is a charismatic church. We love the gifts of the Spirit. I want to go after them. But he's setting a priority on these three things. And so I want you to see that in this context, he's saying the fruit in us is of higher priority than absolutely valid but lesser issues. There are all kinds of biblical issues that we teach on that are valid. But the most important thing, love, joy, peace. 
the fruit. I think they are the most important thing because it's the testimony of Jesus. In John 15, 26 and 27, right as we were ending it, he was talking about how Jesus will continue his testimony by the Holy Spirit in us, that we would be testifying. How do we do that? Well, what if our primary testimony is supernatural love and joy and peace in a hostile environment? Yeah, I got one amen. That's not bad. Let me say that again. What if our testimony of Jesus is primarily our ability to love and experience joy and peace in a hostile environment? Amen. Now, just in case you think I made this up, let's go look at what Peter said. 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16. He says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed, which is a weird thing to say, right? But these are guys that rejoiced when they got beat because they were counted worthy to share in Christ's suffering, so we'll just go with it, amen? So clearly the context here is suffering, and it continues on if you read verses around it further. So he's in the context of suffering, he says, if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. He goes, and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. We're going to call that go to the secret place, go to the dwelling place. Make sure that the Holy Spirit that dwells in you is a place for the Father and the Son to abide. Make sure they're abiding there. Set your heart apart for God. Go to that secret place. Go to that dwelling place. And always be ready to give a defense. Be ready. Something's going to happen. They're persecuting you. Get ready to talk about Jesus. Something's going to happen. And he goes on, to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conscience may be ashamed. Now, here's what he's describing. So, uh, you know, Tim goes to work, and Tim's being all Jesus-y and loving people and full of peace and joy, and it bugs some guy, and so this guy starts saying mean things to Tim. And let's understand that for most of us, the height of our persecution is going to be bad things said about us. Some of it may be worse, but for most of us, that's probably going to be the extent of it. Anyway, this guy's saying bad things about Tim, and, uh, and he keeps doing it. And uh, Tim, you know, makes some cookies. And, and, and so uh, it just makes him matter. And so he keeps saying bad things about Tim, and he's persecuting Tim, and he hates Tim. And and Tim just keeps loving him and being nice to him. Tim even uh, comes into work so this guy can have a day off. And, uh, and, and Tim's loving this guy and just annoying the stuff out of him. So this guy's at the water cooler. And he's going, I hate that Tim Fetterman guy. Uh, he's a Christian. He keeps talking about Jesus. And he's all full of peace and joy. And it's pissing me off. <laughs> I've, been ta- I've, been, I've, been, I've been persecuting him. And the other guys at the water cooler go, oh, that's interesting. What's, how do you take it? Oh, he, just keeps, he just acts happy and peaceful, <laughs> makes me cookies. And somebody at the water cooler goes, I'm going to go ask him. That's weird. I've never heard of that. I'm going to go ask Tim why he's being happy and peaceful and making you cookies while you're being such a jerk. <laughs> right? That is what Peter is describing. 
He's saying when they persecute you, if you maintain a good conscience, you set the God of love, joy, and peace apart in your heart, you respond, they're going to be ashamed when you make them cookies after they were mean to you. And, uh, and, they're going to, and people are going to go, i got to ask what's going on here. So he's saying, be ready. Be ready with the gospel. Because when they persecute you, it's an opportunity. What if this whole thing is an opportunity for us to display the love and the joy and the peace that is in Jesus? Because how much more does that stand out in an environment of hatred and persecution? You following me? Okay. This is all Jesus, not me. I would have done it different. All right, let's go on. Wow, we really got to move on. Okay, let's see if we can get a little further. Uh, Verses 5 through 7. He says, But now I go away to him who sent me, that would be the Father, and none of you asked me where are you going, even though they kind of did, but technically didn't in in chapter 14. Uh, But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. So they're very sad because he says he's leaving. And nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away, the helper uh, will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, here's the thing. Uh, They're sad because they understand the loss that they're getting ready to experience, and they they don't understand yet the gain. Because remember, we talked about the Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit is an entirely new paradigm that no one's experienced before. And this is a mystery that God had kept hidden until now. And so, all, uh, let me put it this way. You're a disciple. You're hanging around with Jesus. Things are going pretty well. And next thing you know, he's saying all this stuff. And if it was me, I'd be, my question would be, Jesus, all I'm hearing is that you're leaving and we're fixing to get beat up. And I don't understand the rest. So, is that it? You're leaving. We're going to get our butts kicked. Just hatred and persecution. And Jesus is going, no, no, no. I'm not calling you just to not understand and get beat up. He's going, I'm going to give you incentives. I'm going to give you vision for what I'm actually doing because they don't fully get it yet. Now, you may be in that boat sometimes. Has anyone been in the place where you understood God was calling you to sacrifice, but you didn't understand how that was going to help you or what you were going to get out of it. You just thought it was going to hurt. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. Well, I want you to know uh, there's a concept uh, in the Bible that uh, he will give us vision to incentivize us, and that's what he's doing here. In fact, we see that in Hebrews 12 too. Jesus endured the cross. Why? Hebrews 12 too. Someone knows it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Why do you endure the cross? Because dad said, yes, but not just because dad said. Dad gave him vision. He knew what the cross was going to accomplish. We are the joy set before him. Amen? Amen? And so he did it because he knew what he was going to get. And so that's what's going on here. He says, hey, I know you guys are sad. I know you're just seeing the downside here, but I'm going to give you Uh, some vision that will incentivize you. Now, the first one, he says, is uh, it's better if I go away so that you can have the Holy Spirit. Now, they couldn't get this because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. I I, I tell, you know, people who 
haven't received the Holy Spirit, uh, I tell them it's kind of like it's kind of like when you were in school and you never kissed anyone, and someone tried to tell you what kissing was like. They could describe it, but you kind of had to do it to really understand, <laughs> right? You remember? Some of you maybe never. It's okay. Uh, I said, it's kind of like that. Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I can tell you about it, but you kind of got to do it to understand, right? And so they didn't understand what was going on here. And he's going, guys, I'm telling you the truth. It's better to have the Holy Spirit in you than me sitting next to you. Now, that sounds hard to believe. If Jesus is in your car and you can ask him questions and everything, that sounds great, doesn't it? But he's going, no, no, no. If I'm sitting with you, you still haven't been pulled into the Godhead. You still haven't been drawn in, accepted in the beloved. You still don't have a place in you where supernatural peace and joy and love dwell. I'm telling you, Trinitarian intimacy, being actually with the Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, in this dwelling place of intimacy, is better than God sitting in the chair next to you. If we don't understand that, it's because we haven't taken full uh, advantage or access of it. I'm telling you, it's better. It's better than having God next to you. God in you, God express himself, the ability anytime you want to experience his love and his joy and his peace. Amen? And what will be really cool is when he comes again, we'll have both, God with us and in us. All right, so that's the first uh, incentive he gives. It is better to have Trinitarian intimacy than proximity. Uh, let's read verses 8 through 11. He's going to give us another one. In uh, verse 8, And when he has come, that's the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Uh, and we'll stop there. Okay, so... The second incentive, first one, it's better to have God in you than God with you. Second one, the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. God's going to take this thing, he's going big. He's taking this show worldwide, right? Now remember, the uh, disciples were having a problem thinking bigger than Israel. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? No. What I'm going to do is put my spirit in the church, send it all over the world, and we're going worldwide. We're going big with this thing. But I need the Holy Spirit in lots of people to do that. So we're going worldwide. And then when I come, I'm not just restoring the kingdom to Israel. I'm going to rule the entire earth from Israel. That's what I'm looking for, right? So he's going way bigger than they can grasp. So he's telling them here, the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And that is going to happen by the indwelling spirit through the church, not just me with 12 guys. There's going to be me with more guys and more guys and more guys and gals, right? Now, what I love here is then he gives them, he tells them what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And it's the basic gospel. It's the, it's the, the boiled down, just the facts, basic gospel. And here it is. And by the way, 
um, let me remind you that uh, who does the convicting? Are you, everybody gets that, right? Anyone here? Is it your job to convict people, to get people saved? No. What is your job? Our job is to testify. Love, joy, peace. And then have an answer when they ask. Our job is to testify, and if they respond correctly, then we're supposed to make disciples out of them, teach them stuff. That's it. That's our job. The Holy Spirit convicts, because we can't do it. He's really good at it. But here's how he does it. He gives us the whole gospel here. Now, the gospel is these three things. The basic gospel is these three things. So if you've never understood the gospel or how to communicate it, I'm going to tell you everything you need to know to combat every other religion in the world. Okay. The gospel is basically this. The nature of man, spoiler alert, super-duper sinful. The nature of God, super-duper holy. And the problem that that creates is super-duper sinful, can't live with super-duper holy. The only solution, the cross. That's the gospel. That God had to become man, die on the cross in our place to pay for our sins so that righteousness can be satisfied, so that justice can be satisfied, so that we can be made perfect by the blood of Jesus and qualify for a holy, perfect heaven and a holy, perfect God. That is the just the facts, ma'am, gospel right there. You understand it? Nature of God, uh, nature of man, nature of God, only solution is the cross. And so this is what he's doing. He's saying first... Um, the, the Holy Spirit is going to convict the world of sin because, in verse 9, they do not believe in me. The only unforgivable sin is to not believe in Jesus. You can get away with anything else. Uh, now, there's other ramifications or consequences. But in terms of heaven and hell, it's, it's all about Jesus, right? And so he's saying, first, there's the sin issue. And... Uh, Jesus came to deal with the sin issue. If you don't believe in Jesus, you've got to deal with the sin issue on your own. And that doesn't end well. Second, verse 10, uh, righteousness. He came to convict the world of righteousness um, because I go to the Father. He goes to the Father because he's God. He's returning. He's the only worthy one. In fact, Revelation 5, the entire chapter, is about, hey, we have this seals that represent justice in the earth, and no one's worthy to open them. Oh, wait a minute. There's the lamb who's worthy. The entire chapter is about the worthiness of the lamb who is worthy because with his blood he purchased mankind. So again, the cross. And so uh, I'm, that will convict them. The Holy Spirit will convict of righteousness because he goes to the Father, because he's the only worthy one. He is the and he's the only one that can impart to us righteousness. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He's the only worthy one, the only one able to impart righteousness, to make you qualify for heaven. And then finally, um, judgment, verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 11. Uh, because... Uh, the God of this world, that would be Satan, is judged. It's already determined. Again, spoiler alert. Will Satan win? Will he win in the, in the battle of Armageddon? Tune in next week. No. He will end up in the lake of fire forever. That's been determined. That judgment has been rendered. 
right? And so he has already been judged. And at the cross, we see we're given the opportunity to avoid that judgment with him. And so the cross is the point where all this uh, changes. In other words, uh, there are only two ways this is going to end, and we have to pick a side. Uh, we either believe in Jesus, and, and we escape judgment with Satan, or we don't believe in Jesus, and we're on his team. There's only two teams. Even if you don't think you're on a team, you're on a team. And if you're on Satan's team, you get to share in Satan's not victory, right? Let me put it another way. Everyone, everyone will either accept Jesus and share in Christ's sufferings or reject Jesus and share in Satan's judgment. Everyone will share in the sufferings of Christ or the judgment of Satan, one or the other. You cannot be Switzerland. Can't sit this one out. You understand? That's the gospel. And so the good news is, even though we're called to sharing the sufferings of Jesus, we can do that with his supernatural love and joy and peace that doesn't come from this world, that comes from something inside, the Holy Spirit. Now, if you decide to side with the other team, uh, the world won't hate you. You'll just spend an eternity in a lake of fire with the guy you chose. Simple choice. But it is a real choice. And so I, what I want you to see, the reason I said this will, you know, nature of man, nature of God, the cross, the solution, uh, this will deal with every false gospel. Because every false gospel, every other belief system that is wrong, because there's only one that's right, you can't have several that are right. If, 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 if Jesus is the only way, there can't be another way. That's, I know it's hard to grasp sometimes if you're in college, but... there's an only way, the other ways don't go there. Okay. And so the simple fact is every false gospel just distorts one of these three truths. It's, it's really simple. Uh, man is very simple. God is very holy. This is a really big problem that only the cross can bridge. Every other religion goes, well, man isn't that bad. He's actually pretty good. And God isn't that picky. He's actually really loving and tolerant. And here's something you can do yourself to get there. Very elegant lie. Just move the bar. Okay. Let's see if we can finish up. Verses 12 through 15. So, so far we have two of the incentives. Trinitarian intimacy is better than God sitting next to us. That the Holy Spirit is taking this thing worldwide. The gospel is going worldwide. And he needs us to do it. That's one of the reasons. And the third one, verses 12 through 15. I, have, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come, and he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. And by the way, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said to you that he will take of mine and declare it to you. And so what we see here is the third incentive that he's given us is you're going to receive the spirit of truth. And through the spirit of truth, 
you're going to receive a progressive revelation of truth. You're going to build line upon line, precept upon precept. The more you hang out with the Holy Spirit, the smarter you're going to get. The more you read the scriptures, the more you're going to know. And he's telling them, he tells them right there in verse 12, I got stuff to talk to you about you can't handle yet. It was Peter, you know, uh, I got, I'm going to have to send the Holy Spirit and fill Gentiles right in front of you just to get you to believe that Gentiles can be saved. You don't even believe Gentiles can be saved yet. There's stuff they don't even get yet. So he's going, I, there's stuff I can't even tell you because you can't handle it. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> but we'll get you there. We'll work up to it. And so that's what we're doing. So we have this progressive revelation of the truth. Not only that, he says, and uh, where is it? And he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He says, not only am I going to give you progressive revelation of the truth, I'm going to tell you about things that are coming so you can prepare ahead of time. I'm going to give you prophetic insight. I'm going to give the church prophetic insight so that it can be prepared instead of just reacting to what's going on. That sounds good, right? And then he says, and by the way, uh, remember in John 15, 15, he said, uh, I'm, you graduated from servants to friends because friends don't know what the master's doing, but I'm calling you friends because I'm telling you everything I'm doing. And pair that with this. By the way, uh, I'm going to give you revelation, and, I'm, and the Holy Spirit's going to take what is mine and give it to you. And by the way, everything the Father has, all the knowledge that the Father has, all the revelation that the Father has, it's all mine, and so it's all going to be on access for you. So he's going, third incentive, you're going to get truth, you're going to get deeper and deeper in truth, you're going to have prophetic insight, and it's unlimited. Everything the Father knows is available. So that's pretty awesome, right? So what does that mean? That means we have no reason ever to lack the vision necessary to embrace sacrifice. Because Jesus, for the joy set before him. There's no reason ever for us to go, this is hard and I don't know why. Because all we have to do is go, God, what are we doing here? He will give us revelation. He will give us truth. Maybe it takes reading the word some more. Maybe it takes studying. Maybe it takes praying some. But I'm telling you, we have unlimited revelation from God. There's no reason to lack vision to embrace sacrifice because it's always unto something. There's always a joy set before us. There's something in it. In Matthew 16, 24, he says, uh, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then he gives the incentive. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What's the joy? There's a, there's a greater life than the life I have. There's a spiritual life that is better, is higher than my natural life. Amen? So he's going, if you'll lay that one down, I'll give you a better one. Now you'll have to have some vision for eternity. You might have to study the scripture some. Some of it will be here, some of it will be there. But if you get it, you'll be able to go through denying yourself, taking up your cross and following me because you're seeing the joy of that new life he's given. Amen? And so he will do this. He will give us vision to take us through. And that's what he's trying to do with the disciples right here. He's going, look, they're going to persecute you, but I'm trying to give you vision that will take you through this. And they must have got it because all but one of them uh, 
were martyred, and the only reason he wasn't martyred is because they tried and it didn't work. All right? So, Hebrews 11.6, you all know this verse. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Right? God wants us just to believe what he said. Uh, for, who, for he who comes to God must believe two things, that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Thus saith the writer of Hebrews, Jesus is a rewarder. You must believe that. You must believe that. I don't know why, but I meet lots of Christians who have a hard time believing that Jesus is a They want to believe in the suffering, but not the reward part. I don't understand that. Jesus has no problem incentivizing us with the reward. In fact, over 25 times in the New Testament, his reward is mentioned. One of my favorite ones is right at the end of Revelation. Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me. It's like Santa Claus got nothing on Jesus. He's got a bag too. Amen? So here's the thing. I'm going to give you a guarantee, a bona fide money back, take it to the bank guarantee, and it's this. Not stumbling in love when you are hated and persecuted will be rewarded, even if the person you're trying to love continues to persecute and hate you. you don't, it doesn't look like anything's being accomplished. I guarantee you it will be rewarded. I guarantee you that not stumbling in your love in the midst of persecution and hatred will be worth it. I guarantee it. It'll be rewarded. I have to believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen? And so what are we after today? The, the synopsis of all of this is that this life uh, what we're called to is to, to practice learning to abide. We have to practice. We have to learn to abide so that we can learn to love and to have peace and have joy. It's so important. So we have to practice it now. Wouldn't it be better if we were learning to love and walk in joy and walk in peace in the little annoyances so that when it gets big, we go, ah, I already know how to do this. It's just, just take it up a notch. So that's what he's after. That's what the Holy Spirit is after, teaching us to love and to have joy and to have peace. And here's the thing, and let's, let's go ahead and have the band up. we got a little bit of time. Here's the thing. God is super-duper generous. Isn't that what the cross is all about? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? He's not being parsimonious with his peace and his joy. Well, if you pray long enough, I'll give you some joy. And if you really show me you mean it, I might give you some peace. That's not him. He is super generous. In the Godhead, in the dwelling place, there's nothing there but love and joy and peace. And he just keeps inviting us, come get it, come get it. And the more we can do that, the more we can take anything the world throws at us because we're walking in his love and joy and peace. Now, I know it's hard. Uh, I know some of you have had really bad things thrown at you. But I know this works. I guarantee that if we can learn to love, if we can learn to abide in his joy and his peace, 
Uh, we can walk through these things. We can live supernatural lives. We can live the new life that is in Christ that emanates from the dwelling place in us. If we can just get there more and more and more. Uh, my desire this morning is to incentivize you to want to get to the secret place, that dwelling place, more and more and more. Uh, not just to give him your list, uh, to experience his love and his joy and his peace so that you can demonstrate that all over. So people start going, what is the matter with you? Why are you happy? I'm trying to make you mad and it's not working and I'm mad that you're not mad. Amen? Just mess with their heads with the Spirit of God that is in you. Sound like fun? All right, let's pray. Lord, we, we get it. That above all, it's so important that we manifest your love and your joy and your peace in a desperate, broken, confused, hurting world. So Lord, we just ask you to glorify your name in us. To manifest the testimony of Jesus in the earth through a church that is full of love and joy and peace. Lord, make them hungry and thirsty. And Lord, right now this morning, we just ask for more, for a greater ability to dwell in you, to experience your love and your joy and your peace that passes understanding. 